Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to John chapter 3. There's one or two good things in John chapter 3. As I began to look back at uh, the records of uh, how many times we've been in John chapter 3, especially in, in this passage, it was four in, in over the course of the years. So uh, it's good. You might as well keep going with it, right? Uh, I mean, Billy Graham had one sermon out of one verse for all those years, and it was good, okay? So if you're able, please stand with me, and I'll read from John chapter 3. Our Heavenly Father, come to us today and open our eyes and hearts that we might not just see the words on the page, but they might penetrate our hearts, that we might understand what it means to live humbly, what it means to walk before you. Heavenly Father, that all we do would be a demonstration of what you have done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So from John chapter 3, I'll read verses 22 through 30. And after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. And John also was baptizing at Anon near Siloam, because there was much water there, and they were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. There arose, therefore, a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. We are presented today in this passage in John chapter 3 with someone who, who openly tells us that he is not important, that he is not important. And, and, and this is not a false humility. Now, John could say, yes, I'm not important and I have to decrease, but you know, I'm the first prophet in 400 years. Did you know that? Well, that's not important. And, and, and I've been filled with the Holy Spirit since I was in the womb, but, but that's not important because I have to decrease. See, this is not a false humility on John's part. He understands his purposes. He understands why he was here and what now the future holds. And in fact, he goes on to say that he must decrease and Jesus must increase. It is a necessity that these two things happen. Now, John the Baptist was a 
basically a star in the first century in his own right. I mean, people would come from all over Judea and Jerusalem, all the outstanding, uh, uh, outstanding areas to come to hear him preach. In fact, Herod liked to hear him preach as well and, until John the Baptist started to get a little too personal in Herod's, Herod's life and Herod cut his head off. The multitudes included people from all parts of life. The rich, the poor, the Pharisees, the educated, the uneducated, tax collectors, soldiers, they all came to hear John's message, and it was a message of repentance. Now is the time to turn to the Lord. And as the ministry of Jesus began to grow, more and more people detached themselves from John and and pursuing John and listening to John and attached themselves to the ministry of Jesus. And John as we see, he says, I have to decrease. It wasn't important that the people were now over with Jesus and I'm losing part of my crowd and my demographics are, I've got the wrong demographic now and, and my advertisements are less. No, it was none of that. He said, you have to go and be with Jesus. You have to. And in fact, he says, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven. If they were following Christ and leaving John, it was because that was the Lord's providential will. That's what must happen. Humility is a virtue that all men preach, but few men practice. That comes from the 17th century, not something that you would hear today, the 17th century. Humility is not on the minds of most people today. In fact, in ancient Greek, they didn't even have a word for humility. Okay? The Greeks thought humility was a terrible thing. Humility is not on the minds of most people today, and, and the incidence of narcissistic personality disorder is nearly three times as high for people in their 20s as for the generation that is now 65 and older. Okay, Narcissistic personality, you know the story of Narcissus um, uh, who looked into the pool and saw, was I'm sorry, was Narcissus a man or a woman? A man, okay, thank you. I just knew the story. I didn't know whether he was a man or And looked into the pool and gazed upon himself and just loved himself so much, didn't want to leave the pool. Just was so taken by his own person there, his own reflection. Well, there is something called the narcissistic personality, and they're three times as high for people in their 20s as for people over 65. 58% more college students scored higher on a narcissism scale in 2009 than they did 25 years previously. 40% of the group known as millennials believe they should be promoted every two years, regardless of job performance. So I'm worth it, okay? And this, this, is, this is classic, uh, classic. I, I don't know, from our culture. Three times as many middle school girls, now I, I understand we're dealing with middle school girls, which is a fickle group, okay? Not Middle school boys were never fickle. Uh, three Three times as many middle school girls want to grow up to be a personal assistant to a famous person as want to be a senator. Four times as many would pick to be the personal assistant to a famous person over being the CEO of a major corporation. Just want to hang out with the famous people. Just want to hang out with the famous. They're so convinced of their own greatness that the National Study of Youth and Religion found the guiding morality of 60% of that age group of the millennials in any situation is they'll just be able to feel what's right. Just be able to feel what's right. 
In the 1950s, if you went into somebody's house, typically you would see a picture maybe of the family, maybe a wedding picture, uh, maybe a family Bible or something on the wall. And, and uh, the average was, I think, six, six photos in a house in the 1950s. If you walk into the typical middle-class American family today, uh, studies show they average 85 pictures of themselves and their pets. Okay, let's not forget the pets. Okay, 85 pictures of themselves. This age group that we, I'm talking about, the millennials, they come of age in an era where they have the quantified self. According to, um, they can record their daily steps on that thing on their, not the watch, but the Fitbit. They can know where they've been, how many steps they've taken. They can uh, log their, every place they'd be on Snapchat or PlaceMe. They can put their genetic data in 23andMe. But this group has less civic engagement, lower political participation than any previous group, all while having a higher view of themselves, their own abilities, and things that they are entitled to. Humility is not a big issue in their lives. And that great modern theologian, sometimes country's western singer Toby Keith says what? I want to talk about me, I want to talk about I, I want to talk about number one. I want to talk about what I like, what I think, what I see. I want to talk about me. Wow. Yeah, I'll talk about me. I like me. John the Baptist doesn't want to talk about him. John the Baptist says, I want to talk about him. I want to talk about that guy over there. I want to talk about that guy who people are leaving me for so to go over and be with him. That's the one who is really important. We could almost say that humility was John the Baptist's destiny, his destiny. He knew that it wasn't about him. He knew the one that would come after him would be greater than him. And in fact, what? He says, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. I shouldn't even dust the sand off his shoes. I shouldn't even touch him. I'm not worthy to do any of that. And I wonder if we have the proper understanding of our destiny, of who we are before the Lord, that it's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. John the Baptist understood that. Who are we in the scheme of God's providence? In God's greater plan, where do we fit in? Are we, are we trying to find our place? We want to be at the head of the table because God's going to use me in a great and powerful way. Maybe for a while, and then maybe all of a sudden he's going to say, you have to go away. And somebody else is going to come up, his son. All eyes upon his son. These are the types of questions that we have to regularly ask ourselves to check our own attitudes and to see if we are humble before the Lord, to see if we have a real understanding of who Christ is and his place in our lives. Does he take first place? Is he preeminent in our lives, above myself, above anybody else? John the Baptist was blessed from birth as the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. There was only one of those. In all of history, there was only one of those, and John the Baptist was it. And now what does he say? Don't look at me. Look at him. Don't pay attention to me. I'm going away. He is here. He is the one you want to look at. He's the first voice in 400 years to call for repentance, to call to prepare ye the way of the Lord. And the Lord shows up, and John says, I'm out of here. He's the one. He is the one. Are we as humble as we need to be with what the Lord has provided for us, what the Lord calls us to do and to be and to use his gifts for the utmost? We can be the best. We can be the most successful at what we do. We are called to be humble in the midst of that. Now, uh, last night when I went to to the airport to, to meet the 
DR group that was coming back, and they had special guests on the plane, okay? Owen and Carly Edwards, okay? They were coming back from their honeymoon. And so, uh, I, I don't know, did you grill them while they're on the plane about, uh, did, have they, you know, are they still happily married and everything like that? Uh, you know, when they came off the plane, you know, I, I came up to them and I said, hi, how are you doing? And I said, I, I greet all the couples I marry when they come back from their honeymoon. <laughs> just, just to see if things are still happy. And yes, they were all still all goobery. Um, but it, it was re, we remember their wedding. And if, if you weren't there, uh, let me tell you, it was, it was a great wedding. They had nine on each side. And to get nine up here, you've got to place them on the right. And, you know, you've got um, three here and six down there. And they had three guys. And, but really, who were people there to see? We, we say the, the bride and groom. The bride, okay. <laughs> the groom's nice. And, and who's the best man? I don't know. Well, yes, I do know. It was Alden, but that was special. But usually, you ask somebody a week or two after the wedding, who was the best man at that wedding? You go, I don't know. Was there a best man? Okay. If I think back in all the weddings that I have done, uh, best, man, best men are not high on the list of importance at a wedding. That's what John understands. He says, I'm not the bridegroom. He said, I'm just the best man. And the bridegroom comes down, and all eyes are focused upon the bride and the groom. No eye is focused upon me. A.W. Pink wrote that humility is not the product of direct cultivation. I'm not out each day trying to be more humble and then coming back and saying, do you know how humble I am today? I worked hard at it. No, that's not what he says. Rather, it is the byproduct. The more I try to be humble, the less shall I attain to humility. But if I am truly occupied with the one who was meek and lonely in heart, if I am constantly beholding his glory, then I can find humility. Think, okay, how do you get more patient? For the Spirit is patience, right? Well, you're put in situations where you have to be patient. You have to exercise that. How do you get more humble? You focus your eyes upon Christ. You focus your eyes upon what the Word says, and you emulate that. That's how you facilitate. That's how you nurture and grow humility in your life. Do we live out our lives with our eyes focused upon Christ? Do we live with an eye only to the critical judgment of the Lord? Am I more afraid of offending men and women, or am I more afraid of offending the God? who loves me, who's created me, who knows everything about me. Look at verse 29 here. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So John is saying that the bridegroom no, he's saying that the best man, that's who he is, the best man, he says, my joy is made complete because of the groom's joy. When the groom is married to the bride, the best man sits back there and goes, yeah, fabulous. This is the way it's supposed to be because I'm not here to get married. He is here to get married. He is here to see his bride. He is here, and my joy is full. My joy is made complete. Look at these words. These are strong words. He who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. 
because of the bridegroom's voice, so that this joy of mine has been made full. John the Baptist says, Jesus is here, and I have been waiting for this, and my joy is complete. Are people leaving me? Yeah, they're supposed to. Are they a rejoicing in the things of Christ? Yeah, they're supposed to. And out of that, he gets this great joy. Contrary to all human nature, he says, they're not looking at me. They're looking at Jesus, and that brings him joy. That's the way it is supposed to be. He says he must increase. I must decrease. There must be more of him, and there has to be less of me. Because when there's less of me, who will they see? They'll see more of him. That's what we want to be. We want to be the vessel that people look at and go, oh, there's Randy. No, there's not Randy. There's, who is that? I see Jesus there. And we have to decrease. So what is the name of the one who must decrease? It's Randy. It's Dan. It's Gordon. It's Judy. It's best. Put your name in there. We must decrease. And what is the name of the one who must increase? His name is Jesus. He is the Almighty. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the author of eternal salvation. He is the beloved Son of our Heavenly Father. He is the bread of life, the Christ of God, the cornerstone, the creator, the deliverer. He is the door. He is the first and the last. He is God in the flesh. He is our great high priest. He is the head of the church. He is the heir of all things, the Holy One. He is Emmanuel, the King of ages, the King of Jews, the King of kings, the King of saints. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the leader and commander. He is the life. He is the light of the world. He is the Lord of all, the Lord of glory, the Lord of lords, the Lord of righteousness. He is the Messiah, the only begotten Son of our Heavenly Father. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the resurrection and life. He is our rock. He is the son of David, the son of God. He is the truth. He is the word of God. That's the name of our Savior. And it is a wonderful name. It is a glorious name. And it is a powerful name. So let's pray. Lord, you call each of us to lives of humility, where Christ is seen first and foremost in our actions, in our words, in everything that we do. For he is the one, he is the name above all names. He is the one to whom every eye shall turn, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord both in heaven and on earth and under the earth. His name is glorious. His name is wonderful. His name is powerful. And we pray this in his name. Amen.